0: the most memorable interviews and listener calls from the week that was on Fight Back with Libby Snyder Welcome to the best of Fight Back with Bob Comsick Good afternoon and welcome to the Saturday edition of the best of Fight Back from the week that was With a federal election just over one month away, it's time for the second installment of our feature on the Zoomer primary. It's the poll where you are the subjects, and that's pretty realistic because, as we know, Zoomers vote in overwhelming numbers. Those numbers are in line with other polls that the recent report from the ethics commissioner, which found the prime minister guilty of violating the law, has not had a noticeable impact and the liberals have taken the lead away from the conservatives while the NDP's popularity continues to fall. Libby spoke with David Kravitz, vice president, Zoomer media guru on all things demographic, and Zoomer magazine senior editor, Peter Mugridge.
1: I just can't believe it's uh, it's fallen so low um, You know, in in the national polls, it's upwards of 11 percent, but 3 percent, David, it it just seems so like uh, like Singh has sort of destroyed the party almost.
2: Yeah, they were always uh, our previous polls and we never had an uh, operation as formalized and as extensive as this year, to be fair. But when we have had groups in the past, whether a focus group or a poll, the NDP has tracked with our audience Roughly where they track in the wider, you know, whether it's Angus Reed or Leger or whoever. This time they're way and closer behind.
1: to 20%, too, yeah, you know, right? This, this like, time like, they're way behind, yeah.
2: way behind. Yeah. And, and, uh, and
1: where's that support going to go? Like, is it going to go green? Is it going to go liberal? Are they going to sit it out? What's going to happen?
2: Well, right now, if it's 3%, it's not a big prize. <laughs> 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 I'd be more worried about the 12% undecideds. So if I was sheer or true, I'll get them. But the 3% NDPers you would think would tend to go liberal.
3: David, just before we went to air, you were trying to explain to me the difference between the NDP losing – The Zoomer vote versus losing the youth vote.
2: The uh, difference for the conservatives, for the NDP. So in the last election, uh, the youth vote, let's say 18 to 24, went liberal by a hefty margin over Stephen Harper. And if we take that margin, and I don't remember the exact numbers, we take that margin and take the number of votes it actually cast, how many votes did that represent, it produces a swing to the liberals of X, let's say. If the conservatives lose that same amount, it impacts them way more because they start out with way more. So the real problem for the conservatives, if our numbers hold up, they've got to do way better among the older voters than they're doing so far. The impact on them not doing quite as well among the younger voters, they've already absorbed that into their their numbers and it won't hurt them by as much. You have to distinguish between the percentage of the vote and the number of seats. So, if the NDP has an unusual orange wave in Quebec that is not typical of their regular support, it wouldn't be surprising to see that wave, you know, di- disappear a little bit. But the I think he's correct that they probably have a core of at least fifteen percent of the voters, rain or shine, and it returns to the mean. You know, the the, the arithmetic average returns to that, and I do think that our poll understates how well. Uh, the NDP will do on a national uh, basis right now, as a snapshot right now.
1: Do you do you think um, Jag saying that he's not going to prop up a conservative minority government? Do you think that hurts the NDP? Yes. Why so, dude?
2: Well, I think that Elizabeth May was very shrewd. She said, "Look, I." going to prop him up. I'm not going to prop him up. I'll let's wait and see what he does. So if Shear is the Prime Minister, it's very prudent for her to say, you know, there may be certain reasons I want to keep the thing stable and there may be things he might do that I don't like. Why do I need to declare that now? Well, and exactly. There's usually, now. A, uh, yeah.
3: there's usually a period of negotiation. A yeah, lot of people yeah. also thought that uh, he, he that was his concession, concession speech yeah. Yes. Yeah. before
1: the rich was dropped. Yeah, but in a way, he maintains ethical purity though, right? Like he's He's saying, I can't work with the Conservatives. They're too different from the NDP. And May is saying, I can work with anyone. So, you know, maybe she's seen more as an opportunist rather than... But to
2: to be fair, she's also saying, maybe I won't work with them. It's just, I don't want to declare that right now. And I think that's smart. Why should she?
3: Why should she? I mean, who knows what, you know, what you can get from someone if you need their support. (laughs) What would you like to leave us with, Peter, on the Zoomer tracker and and... Tell people how they can participate and they can vote. So yeah. when we're back here next Monday, we'll be talking about what they did.
1: Yeah. So um, if you if you go to zoomervote.ca and you'll you'll come to our poll, you can vote for the the party you choose. And then later on, if something comes up that makes you want to change your vote, there are ways of doing that, and the instructions are there. And we'd love to. We'd love to cross 10,000 by the next time we have this discussion to get a much broader representation of our, of our demographic.
3: David, what would you like to leave us with?
2: Wait for the flub. We still yeah. haven't had a big flub, and that's what's going to do it. As they get serious, as debates occur, as they go head-to-head more directly, I think you're going to see this start to shake out.
0: David Kravitz, Vice President, Zoomer Media, and Zoomer Magazine Senior Editor, Peter Muggeridge. You're listening to the best of Fight Back. I'm Bob Comsick. As summer officially nears the end, some are spending as much time as they can on boats, either as an operator or passenger. The recent deadly boat mishap in Muskoka that involved celebrity entrepreneur Kevin O'Leary serves as a reminder we need to talk about boat safety and the dangers that come with the activity. Libby was joined by OPP Marine Coordinator Sergeant Dave Moffitt.
4: We are noticing that no matter how much education we do, how much awareness, how much uh, patrol, excuse me, enforcement we do, uh, alcohol is still not uh, coming off the water. So this year alone, uh, with our 50 fatalities, 60% of those fatalities involve alcohol.
3: 60%, that's a huge number. And uh, I would imagine that there are crashes and other incidents where people are not killed, but maybe hurt.
4: That's right. We don't have the stats on, on the injuries. It has to do with the Canada Shipping Act and reporting it through the government. But what I can tell you is that throughout all the patrols that we, we do throughout Ontario to date, we have laid just under 1,200 liquor charges on the water, which is astounding.
3: 1,200 liquor charges, and what are the penalties?
4: Well, it, uh, it depends on if you're a pastor or operator, uh, the operator, it's a $180 fine right off the bat, which goes to um, uh, the, the person they, in charge of the vessel. And anyone drinking on board uh, is subject to a $130 fine.
3: Oh, I didn't realize that it was uh, against the law for passengers.
4: Yeah, the only way you can drink legally on a boat is if you have a boat that has three things. And one is a, uh, a full-time kitchen. You have accommodation for sleeping for everybody on board, and you have a permanent head or a bathroom on board. Um, and that vessel has to be permanently attached to the land somehow. So you're either beached, you're docked, or you're uh, you're tied up by an anchor. Um, and then that becomes a private place under liquor license act. Once that's a private place, then you're legally allowed to drink on board.
3: It sounds like, uh, you know, if the penalty is a fine, you know, when you compare that to Impaired uh, driving—that's not much of a penalty, particularly if you're uh, riding around Lake Joseph or Lake Muskoka. That's for rich people.
4: Yeah, well, that's just if you're if you're in possession of alcohol. That's just the fines for that. Now, if you're impaired or if you operate with over 80 milligrams of alcohol in your system, then you're subject to the criminal code, and the criminal code is a is a much bigger uh, act that we can work on. And now that we have the law, if you're charged for impaired boating, then you lose your uh, driver's license uh, for a, for a year if you're convicted.
3: Just w- your boating driving license? No,
4: or? your car license. Your
3: car license. Yes. Oh, okay. Well, that's a penalty. It seems like it's part of the culture. You go to the cottage. You get together with friends. You drink. And is, and there's only one way to get around. Uh, in a lot of these places, uh, is that the root of the problem?
4: Yeah, um, we're doing our best through education, social media, uh, just you know, stopping as many boats as we can to to check on uh, the operators and passengers. We're trying to get that mentality gone, and I think our officers have done a great job uh, doing that. We have cleaned up many, many waterways throughout Ontario uh, that have had this problem, um, but. You know we're we're frustrated because some people just aren't getting it, and you know we can like we we can put so many so much information throughout the media and the awful things that happen to really really good people, um, and their attitude doesn't change. So uh, we're we're trying new things. We're you know we are trying to uh, get our message out as much
0: as possible. OPP Marine Coordinator, Sergeant Dave Moffat. You're listening to The Best of Fight Back. I'm Bob Comsick. This Tuesday, our strategy panel got down to real electioneering for the three federal parties. Joining Libby were Karen Stintz, former Toronto City Councillor and current CEO of Variety Village, Charles Bird of Earnscliff Strategy Group, and John Capobianco of Fleischmann Hillard High Road, who dissected the slogans In it for you, it's time for you to get ahead, and choosing forward.
5: Slogans are interesting um, uh, concepts because every campaign wants to have them. Every campaign needs to have them. Um, But I think the reality of slogans and success of slogans is based on the believability. Right, you have to have a slogan that somehow is matches the person, the persona of the leader. You know, I, I hearken back to when Rob Ford was running for for mayor, and his became, you know, stop the gravy train. Um, I'm not sure many other individuals would have had a success with that slogan, but because he was Rob Ford, and because of the work that he did when he was a counselor and, and all the tax cutting, uh, you know, issues, and and you know, so there was a believability about stop the gravy train. Um, so with the ones that you just mentioned, I think it's easy to determine which ones they are because obviously the conservatives want to think about the fact that you know getting ahead so the 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 message there is in the last four years are you better off today than you were four years ago and if you're not then you want to vote for us because we're going to get you ahead and we're going to to worry about you getting ahead of 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 you know financially successfully economically um the, the one that really shocks me is the ndp in it for you I just don't get that one. I really don't. I don't know if there's, again, back to the believability of it. I'm not sure people look at Jagmeet Singh or the NDP and say they're in it for me. I think they're in it for a very select few groups. So I'm not sure that's going to be successful. Charles. so um, Choose
3: forward. What the heck does that mean?
5: <laughs> it's a...
6: It's a very effective play on the 2015 liberal slogan, which was "Choose Change," which is probably the only one that people can remember from the 2015 campaign. Oh, you you left a couple out, Libby. Which oh, I, the, is the Green the, Party. The Green Party are not left, the- not right, forward. And the People's Party are strong and free. I think.
3: Oh, I didn't um, even know they had one. Okay, I mean,
6: they, they do, and for all the good it will do them. But it's interesting that the um, that the Green Party is actually chosen chosen forward as well, which is a reiteration of the liberal message, and it goes to the forward. Thinking nature of, of those two campaigns, whereas the sort of more populist, more consumer oriented "In it for you" or "Time for you to get a better job with more pay and more vacation time" or whatever the conservative slogan is, long as it may be, um, it's, it it's an long. interesting, it's an interesting contrast. Yeah, you really want something that 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 fits three on words. a bumper sticker, two or three words. Yeah, exactly, or maybe
7: four words. Yep. Karen, yeah, and it's hard. I think um, to the point. John was making part of the slogan has credibility in the party or the leader that's saying it. Part of the credibility of the slogan is reflective of what's happening in the day. So when we had uh, Rob Ford saying he was going to cut the gravy train, it was because people felt spending at City Hall was out of control. Now we had these slogans. And I think the slogans don't really speak to what people are feeling. Now, I I don't know that I would necessarily know what that slogan is either. But all of them, I think, fall slightly flat because Mm -hmm. there's a sense that they're all missing what the real issues are for the voters.
6: What's the word change? I'm surprised that no party has actually embraced change because that's traditionally something that voters opt for when they're dissatisfied with the current government. Or perhaps (laughs) they're not all that dissatisfied with the current government.
3: I think that, yeah, they're probably not all that dissatisfied with the current government government, but maybe with the current leader.
5: Well, and Charles is right about that. And I think everybody, a lot of campaigns, I shouldn't say everybody, but a lot of campaigns, both provincial, federally, federal, will always use the word change. But I think change, there's got to be, and Karen's right about the timing of it, because if you say change, you know, they must have done some internal polling that shows that Canadians aren't like over the top about change. They're not, they might not be happy with the current prime minister for a number of reasons, but it might not be because of change and change might not be the, the word that might have been used. After 15 years of liberal misgovernment and misspending that happened provincially, um, you know, and all that that uh, that took place with McGuinty when, uh, no doubt change was a big factor because everybody wanted change and 80% of Ontarians that were, were, were polled said they want change. So the fact that, that Doug Ford and others used the word change in their, in their uh, uh, slogan actually worked because there was that feeling of change.
3: Where does that take us? I, I, I don't know. I think these slogans are pretty, I don't think that they're going to move anything one way or another.
7: Well, I think there's a potential that the conservative slogan could um, rally in the West, because I think there is a sense that the government hasn't really been sensitive to the needs of particularly Alberta and B.C., that there, the, the pipeline has caused friction in the West that's still unresolved. And in other areas of the country, there's still, like, the carbon tax is unresolved. Uh, the, the ethics issue is unresolved to some degree, uh, because Trudeau's not apologizing yet. He's been found to have violated. So there's still a sense that there's a lot of things that are unresolved. And yet, um, Other than marijuana regulation, there hasn't really been a lot of accomplishments the liberals could point to. And so when Andrew Scheer says, you know what, we're in it for you, whether he's the right messenger, I think there is a sense that this government has been delivering on promises that actually aren't ones that we've been asking for.
0: Strategy panel members Karen Stintz, former Toronto City Councillor and current CEO of Variety Village, Charles Byrd of Ernst Cliff Strategy Group, and John Capobianco of Fleischman Hillard High Road. You're listening to the best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. I'm Bob Comsick. Back to school and back to work mean more danger on our roads, with more traffic, more distracted drivers rushing around. Toronto police launched a safety blitz for this week in school zones, and the mayor's talking up the potential for new technology to make our roads safer, as we're unfortunately on track for another year of carnage with no improvement in the numbers despite Vision Zero 2.0. Let me talk with Toronto Mayor John Tory, OPP Sergeant Kerry Schmidt, and Mark Richardson of the Automotive Journalists Association.
8: Well, I'm not complacent about this because the target number is zero, nothing more than zero, that uh, the numbers are actually a little improved this year. And you take this as a long-term improvement, especially in the number of deaths I'm talking about, and we're trying to get that down to zero and as quickly as we can. But I think it's a little better this year, but still way too high. What we see that's the same, uh, is that a lot of these deaths are happening on these I'll call them suburban roads in places like Scarborough and North York where there's very wide roads with very infrequent uh, crossings and intersections uh, and fairly high speed limits and uh, people then don't want to walk 10 or 12 minutes literally to the next place they could cross at a crosswalk or a signalized intersection so they go across and they're going across a fairly wide road where cars are traveling fairly quickly and so what we're doing as part of the program overall that we have is uh, we are lowering those speed limits on those kinds of streets. Uh, we're going to be redesigning a lot of those roadways, and we're putting in things like uh, red light cameras and photo radar because we find again a This is from analysis of the actual data from last year. Uh, the the a fair number of the actual deaths uh, happened uh, at people at intersections where people were going through the intersection trying to. Get through before the red light, but in fact, we're going through the red light and striking uh, a pedestrian who had already started across the street. And and one more thing, by the way, we've talked about this you and I before. The majority of the people who uh, are being victimized by these uh, these collisions are uh, people who are 55 years age and of age and above. The number one thing I repeat is for people to slow down, uh, to pay attention, meaning no distracted driving for everybody to obey the rules, and that includes cyclists, pedestrians, and car drivers, but the principal onus must be on drivers because they are in powerful vehicles and uh, that are surrounded by two tons of steel, and so they have the principal on- onus on them, and that includes uh, cr- truck drivers that you mentioned earlier on as well.
3: I would like to bring in OPP Sergeant Kerry Schmidt and Mark Richardson, who is the president of the Automotive Journalists Association of Canada. Anecdotally, what was going on on the roads, and is it any kind of reason for encouragement?
9: We had another 24 impaired driving charges uh, laid over this weekend, another 34 street racers or dangerous drivers that were charged, again, only in the GTA. So uh, it has been a very busy weekend for us, Uh, surprisingly i guess a little bit the impaired driving charges that we laid this weekend was very consistent with last year although if you want to look at good news at all or not uh, there was slightly fewer stunt drivers and street racers that we charged uh this weekend as compared to last weekend so hopefully we uh, had a little bit of an impact, a little bit of a difference, and, and encourage people to make better choices and better decisions. But, uh, again, it was also a deadly weekend, and that's uh, what we're trying to prevent.
3: Okay, I'd like to bring in Mark Richardson, and and you had an interesting piece uh, published in the Globe and Mail today. Uh, basically, uh, you were referring to the experiment of an increased speed limit on some highways, uh, saying it's a joke, but that the de facto speed limit is pretty high, is uh, 120
5: Well, that's the thing. The Ontario government has stated that they're going to try this experiment for a couple of years. And at some point this month, they start to come up with a firm date. They're going to increase the speed limit on three of the 400 series highways and increase it from 100 to 110. Uh, But my point is that everybody's already doing 120 on that anyway. It all comes down to enforcement, not what the actual speed limit says. So I don't think it'll actually make a lot of difference.
3: Sergeant Schmidt, what about enforcement? I mean, we have, you know, Mayor Tory said it clearly for Toronto. You can't have all these cops out enforcing traffic. I'm sure the same is true provincially.
9: Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. No, it is challenging. I'm sitting actually right now on the side of Highway 400 through a construction zone, where which is... Uh Listed as an 80-kilometer speed limit, and I can tell you traffic does go uh, considerably faster than that speed limit. And we do have dedicated officers out here that are doing uh, patrols and enforcement here every single day. And obviously, officers all across the province are enforcing the rules of the road uh, to the best of their abilities. Uh, we know the faster you go, if you're involved in a crash, the more serious, the more uh, likely you are to be involved with the with injuries to have serious injuries uh, sustained and so that's uh, certainly a concern for us the faster we go and and if the uh you know markedly uh average speed is 120 uh maybe maybe not depending on traffic flows and volumes uh but again the faster you go the faster it uh the more it hurts uh when you stop suddenly in those uh, 200 milliseconds is what it takes to uh, go from your speed to uh, a dead stop and that's the scary part
0: Toronto Mayor John Tory, OPP Sergeant Kerry Schmidt, as well as Mark Richardson of the Automotive Journalists Association. This is UMA Radio's Best to Fight Back. I'm Bob Komsik. Fight Back with Libby's Nimer brings you comprehensive coverage of the news stories that interest you and your reaction to them on the phones. We've gone through the audio. Here are some of the best calls of the week. Pat in Toronto chimed in on the Trudeau Liberals giveaways.
8: The thing that's bothering me most was when I saw the giveaway program last week. Mm-hmm. and the I think we're into multi-billions yep. that are being promised, and aren't we being good um, getting all this money mm-hmm. that's coming from the left pocket to go to the right pocket. And I just find it such a con game, a total con game on behalf of the Liberal Party.
0: Sharif in Mississauga, not impressed with Justin Trudeau.
4: I wonder... What's happening to pure Canadians? The only two good leaders that I could ever remember, there was Ed Bradband and late Jack Layton. The rest of them, they all joke, like Trudeau, if he wants to win, which I will vote for Trudeau, to be honest with you. He better come up with something good that he can gain the people behind him.
0: Jan and Guelph took to the streets, touching on speeding.
10: woman driver in Guelph just recently, in the last day or so, was doing 129 in a 50-mile zone, got charged with stunt driving and impoundment of a vehicle for seven days. Isn't that absolutely ridiculous? My other comment is, why do car manufacturers make cars to go so fast? I could do 220 in my car. I would never do that. So, why are they making them to do that?
0: And now, Fight Back's Knockout Call of the Week. There were a lot of great calls this week, but the winner of the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week comes from Helen in Toronto, who talked about violence her mother has experienced in long term care.
10: My mother is in an institution. My mother has been attacked a couple of times. And you were talking oh, about uh not reporting, they knew who I was after the first instance then when the second and third um, happened, I spoke to the director and I said to her, "I think you better report this and, oh no we 're not reporting this you know they don't you don 't have to be an administrator at one of these homes to report. I reported it, and they went in and they checked the home out um, i didn 't realize when that happens. The person who goes in to check the home out is there for at least a week, and they keep coming and going as they please, and therefore um, they're going to catch them in the act of not doing or doing what should or should not be done. You don't have to sit back and wait for them to report. You can phone up and you can report, and and if you're persistent, they will take action.
0: That does it for today's Best to Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. If you'd like to qualify for the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week, phone us between noon and one weekdays at 416-360-0740 on Zoomer Radio. AM740, also 96.7 FM downtown. Or if you have a comment, email us at fightback at zoomer.ca and follow us on Twitter at Fightback Libby. I'm Bob Comstock. Join me again at the same time tomorrow when we'll round up the rest of the best of Fight Back. The best of Fight Back is produced by Jane Brown, Justin Eacock, and Zeev Hadi, with technical production by Kelly Robotham. Executive producer Moses Neimer.